Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Therefore, we need to be like those who have this ability who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, and them that are out of the way. The ignorant? Isn't that a description of a person who believes that evolution is true? That's ignorance. They're ignorant of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ made all things. How do we look at them? Do we look at them as enemies of the truth? Uh, and we want to give them our best arguments, that, like, you know, well, what about the second law of thermodynamics? Huh? What do you think about that? Or, you know, or, or where do you think all that information came from in the DNA? You know, think of that, Dad, did you? Mm. But what does God call us to do? God calls us to have compassion on the ignorant. Remembering we were ignorant. You know, whenever I talk to a, an evolutionist, I remember the days back at UCSD. I was an evolutionist. I would argue for evolution. I remember those days. And my, my heart goes out. I say, I believe in evolution. They say, and I put my hand on their shoulder and I say, I hope you recover. Boaz was careful in how he treated Ruth, the stranger, because he knew what God had called Israel to do in Exodus 23, 9. Thou shalt not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, seeing you were strangers in the land of Egypt. See, God called Israel to consider the heart of the stranger and remember you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Isn't that interesting how, how God did not want Israel to forget about those terrible days in Egypt? He didn't want to, don't you forget about that. Don't you forget about how you were treated. Don't you forget about how you were a stranger. Can't we imagine an Israelite sitting down and saying, well, Egypt was such an awful experience, a simply an awful experience. What benefit did I get out of Egypt? And from Exodus 23, 9, God says, I'll tell you, Egypt was a training ground for you. It was a training, and the person would say, Egypt was my training ground. Egypt was where I learned what it was like to be a stranger, and now I can help the stranger, because I know. God called Israel to love the stranger, not to just tolerate the stranger, not to just be good to the stranger, but to love the stranger. He said in Leviticus 19.33, and if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, you shall not vex him, But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And then Moses told Israel also in Deuteronomy 10, 19, love ye therefore the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And if a person says, how am I supposed to do that? God said, by remembering how you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And when we encounter a stranger, God says, it's an opportunity for you. In Galatians 6.10, Galatians 6.10, it says, 
as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we've seen how Boaz thought of Ruth at mealtime, wanted her to have a great at mealtime, and now we consider how Boaz made this invitation to Ruth to come at mealtime and eat. So when we see this, when we see Boaz saying at mealtime, come and eat, when we see that, we just can't help but think of the great invitation that the Lord made to the lost when he said in Isaiah 1.18, come now, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be as wool. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, that was a great invitation that he made. And, he be, and, he, and his invitation is just to come and reason. Come and reason. You know, the word that God used for reason, yakash, is, is very interesting because it has the meaning of arguing or pleading like in, like in a court. You know, yakach means it's, it's a passionate word. It's not a passive word. It's a passionate word that carries the idea of a man in, in pleading his great need. My sins are scarlet. They're red. What am I going to do? I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. And, and he pleads about his problems of his sin. And then God pleads, well, look what I've done. He's pleading. He's, he, he's arguing. He says, I, 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 look what I've done to forgive you. I, I became a man. Then I became a servant. Then I became a sufferer. Then I became a sacrifice. Then I shed my blood for you. See, for God to use that passionate word of yakach, it brings the question, does God get passionate? Does God get passionate with man? Does God, does God, does God, uh, the, 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 like they accuse me on the, on the, the board, the sharp board, they say, you're getting too emotional. <laughs> they say to me, you're getting too emotional. I said, somebody died, a little emotions maybe in order. Anyway, does God plead or beg man? We can see that God does. He's passionate. God's passionate. He's pleading. When he said in Isaiah 5, verses 3 and 4, when he said Isaiah 5, 3 and 4, and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I've not done in it? He's saying, just tell me, where did I go wrong? God. This is God. He's saying that. And he's saying to man, just point out where I did it. Where I, where, what did I do wrong? What did I miss? You see, that's passion. See, that's passion when God says to Israel, what could have been more? See, God lays himself open for evaluation. He said in, in, in Jeremiah 2.5, Jeremiah 2.5, thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me that you have gone so far from me and you've walked after vanity and you've become vain? And God says, hey, God says, would you please tell me? Remember when the Lord Jesus Christ said, he, he says, which of you convinceth me of sin? Same thing. He says, what iniquity? Lay it out on the table. What iniquity? Or as a matter of fact, God says he's going to plead. He's going to passionately plead. He's going to beg Israel in Micah 6, 2, where it says, hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy and ye strong foundation of the earth. The Lord hath a controversy with his people. He will plead with Israel. How does God call? How does he call? By his messengers. By his messengers. Second Chronicles 36, 14. Second Chronicles 36, 14. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and people transgressed very much. After all the abominations of the heathen polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem, and the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, 
rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and they despised his words and they misused his prophets until the wrath of God arose against his people till there was no remedy. See, how, how are they described? Who are the ones described who God's calling? Well, they're described as they transgressed very much. Huh? How else? They mocked, they made fun of the messengers of God. How, how else? They despised his words. How else? They misused or abused his prophets. See, what does God say he's going to do to those, to those people? Well, send them more messengers. <laughs> and what did the messengers do when they sent them? Romans 10, 15, how shall they preach? Except they're sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings. See, he sent them to preach. Well, how did they preach? Rising up betimes, this time, that time. He said, uh, uh, and, and then God says, you know what? I'm gonna go to my place and wait till they repent. I'll wait it out. In Hosea 5, 15, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction, they shall seek me early. So he goes, he goes to his place, God does, he waits, and then we see he can't wait any longer. And so he rises up and he says in Hosea 6, 4, oh Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? Oh Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is like a morning cloud in your early dew, it goeth away. He goes to his place and he returns and he says, how about now? Is it ready? Are you ready now? How about now? Are you ready to be saved now? And then he sends out summer blitzers across the country. And, and, and what do they do? They keep stretching out their arms and they get eggs thrown at them. They get water thrown at them. They get cars that try to chase them down and they get a revolver or two that are pulled on them. Apart from that, it's fine. If God's Jewish people kept doing that against God and his messengers, why did God keep sending messengers and keep calling them? Because he had compassion on his people. He had compassion on his people. So we see the compassion, the compassion that he had is to send messengers. The compassion that Boaz had to Ruth is the at mealtime compassion. And then what do we see? Dining table in Ruth, all set. There was an order of importance. Who sat where determined your importance. First, at the head of the table, of course, Boaz sits. Next to him come the reapers, then come the maidens. But we see in verse 14, it says where Ruth sat because it says she sat beside the reapers, not after, beside the reapers, and Boaz had arranged that Ruth would sit right next to the reapers in a place of prominence before his maidens. This reminds me again of my friend in Tampa who picks up those homeless people for their church service, and then he seats the homeless among the congregation there, all intermixed. And this is, this is what we see Boaz doing here for Ruth. She's not seated as a stranger over in the stranger's corner by herself being fed isolated from the group like the Egyptians could not eat with the Jewish people and is there an abomination. But Boaz had seated the stranger Ruth right there beside the reapers and we get an idea of where Ruth was seated by what it says further in Ruth 2.14, he reached her parched corn. See, he reached. We understand that Ruth was sitting within reaching distance of Boaz. She was seated so very close to Boaz that he could pass the parched corn to her himself. As a matter of fact, we can see how Boaz really looked forward to this mealtime. He looked forward to eating with Ruth. He looked forward to serving Ruth. He passed, he served her. 
And when we see Boaz speaking to Ruth in the first part, verse 14, about how he's looking forward to the at meal time, come and eat, and when we see Boaz serving her, we see the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the Lord Jesus Christ looking forward to eating with his disciples, as he said in Luke twenty-two fifteen. In Luke twenty-two fifteen, he said, "He said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God." He took the cup, gave thanks, said, "Take this, divide it among yourselves." For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread, gave thanks, break it, gave it unto them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, this cup, it's the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. See, the Lord said to his disciples, he was so looking forward to eating that last supper with them that it was so important that he used these words, with you, with you. With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That's the meal in which he took the bread, broke it, and he says, this bread, it symbolizes my body, which is broken for you. He took the cup. He said, this cup, it's a symbol of my blood, which is the new promise, the new covenant, the new agreement that I'm making with you of forgiveness and reconciliation if you receive me as your sacrifice. That time of eating and drinking the wine, look forward to the suffering for our sins. It was important for him that, 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 that he would not eat and drink with them until the time after he had suffered from their sins when they would be able to look back on it. We do that every morning. We do that every Saturday morning when we look back on what he suffered. So Ruth, she's been so lifted up. She's been so exalted by Boaz to be right there within reaching distance. And we see she ate, it says in verse 4, she, she did eat. She was sufficed. Yeah, that was the best meal that Ruth ever had in a long, long time. And such a place of honor to be served by Boaz. And we see that how Ruth was brought into such a place of prominence at the table. And we see how we've been so brought as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been adopted by God. And when we see Boaz reaching the parched corn to serve Ruth, we can hear the Lord Jesus Christ say in Luke twenty two twenty seven, 27, whether is greater, he that sitteth with me or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth with me, but I'm among you as he that serveth. Philippians 2, 7, he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Matthew twenty twenty eight. 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. See, all those scenes, now we look at the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and we see ourselves crying out the words of Job 33, 24. I have found a ransom. I have found a ransom. We see ourselves looking at the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and saying, in the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, I have found a ransom to deliver me from hell. We see ourselves looking at the cross and saying the words of Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We are healed. And then we see God the Father happy. 
In Job 33, 24, it says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. We see the angels looking at our salvation by grace and saying the words of Job 33, 24. He is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. See, when we see Boaz reaching the parched corn to serve Ruth, we see how the Lord Jesus Christ served Ruth. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ served us. He said in John 13, three through five, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hand and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and then he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. See, Ruth at the table of Boaz, Boaz reaching over to Ruth to serve her the parched corn, her eating till she's satisfied, we see a picture of ourselves. We see the Lord Jesus Christ, what he's done for us when he said, as we just heard out of the mouth of babe, Caitlin. Okay, John 4, 13 through 14, Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of his water shall thirst again, whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give in him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And as Brother Sam Burton said, that woman at the well became a missionary. Like Boaz, seeing the need of Ruth, the Lord Jesus Christ saw the need of water that would not disappoint. He looked beyond the immediate thirst of the body of this woman to see in this woman the well of thirst in her soul. Like Boaz, she spoke to the heart of Ruth. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke to the heart of that woman. He saw the unquenchable thirst in her soul. He saw all the husbands that she had had. He saw all the I love yous that they had exchanged. He saw all the I have found the ideal husbands. And this left this woman with a deep thirst in her soul. And now the Savior comes with a promise and that he has what she's been looking for and she hasn't been able to find Sin had left this woman dead. Sin had left her, as it says in Ephesians 2.1, dead in trespasses and sins. And she was tired of death. And she was tired of being dead in her trespasses and sins. And she yearned for life. She yearned for everlasting life. Those husbands promised her life, but each one of them left her dead. And now here comes the Savior, and he says, I've got what you've been looking for. I have what you've been thirsting for. I have the water of everlasting life. And he said, I'm willing to give it to you. And all you have to do is ask, and then it'll satisfy your soul. And not only soul, your soul, but the water I'm gonna give you is gonna bubble up into everlasting life. You'll become a well of water, a springing well of water of everlasting life, not just a well, not just a well we have to drop a bucket into to get water. The water is gonna be springing up out of this well. You can't contain it. It's going to be a well that bubbles up. And that's just as he said in John 7, 38. John 7, 38. He that believeth in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. See? Job had these rivers of living water flowing out of his belly when he said in Job 32, 18. Job 32, 18. I'm full of the matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst out like new bottles. Solomon spoke of the mouth of the wise, of the saved, bringing salvation to others when he said in Proverbs ten eleven, 
the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. See, a, a Jewish girl at San Diego State was recently saved. Many of you met her from France. And she went in for an interview to become an English teacher overseas in Taiwan. And the interviews lasted two hours. And when we asked her, how'd the interview go? She said, fine. It took all two hours for him to finally pray to receive the Lord. (laughs) Why? Her mouth was a well of life. Out of her belly flowed rivers of living water. In her was a life well of water springing up into everlasting life. See, we're looking forward to the day when the Jewish people turn to the saved and ask them, tell me about my own Jewish Messiah. Tell me how I can be saved. And when that day comes, each mouth of each saved person is gonna be a well of salvation and each Jewish person is gonna be drawing with joy from those mouths the gospel of salvation as it says in Isaiah 12, three. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And that's what happens. That's what happens today. When we bring the gospel to the lost, we think we're doing that all alone. We're not. It's God who's looking down. He's seeing that lost, thirsty soul. And he uses us to pour water on the thirsty soul, as it says in Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And Ruth did eat and was sufficed. And the Savior said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. Actually, the Lord Jesus Christ called himself the bread of life. The bread of life. John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. They're dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof, not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread... He shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. What's the bread of life that the Lord Jesus Christ is? The bread that came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. The living bread which came down from heaven, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. You know, he couldn't have made it more clear. He couldn't have made it more clear when he said he was the bread that came down from heaven. So if any man eats, he's not going to die. He could not have made it more clear than to say that if you eat, you're going to live forever. See, but it's not automatic. It's not automatic. It doesn't come from being born in a Christian home. It doesn't come from being, from going to a certain church. It doesn't come from being of a denomination. In order for a person to eat that bread and not die, he's got to decide. He's got to choose. Like we started off with Ruth saying, he must first choose to come to the Lord Jesus Christ for life. He must choose to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be his Savior and Lord. He must receive, choose to receive the Lord Jesus Christ by personalizing his sacrifice for my sin. He must receive the Lord Jesus Christ and make him his personal Lord. Have you done that? Are you sure? Are you sure? The Bible says in 1 John 5, 11, this is the record that God has given to us eternal life and this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. Do you have eternal life? Do you have the son? Do you want eternal life? Do you want the son? Today's the day. Today's the day to receive eternal life. Today's the day 
to receive the Son. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, the life of Boaz and Ruth, and especially, Lord, how you spoke these wonderful words of promise. Pray for every person in this room now, Lord, that you would let them know it's not just a church service. It's the time. It's the time to come to God. It's the time to receive the Son. It's the time to receive eternal life. Tomorrow may be too late. Thank you, Lord, for speaking in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you love and stand with Israel? Would you like to meet a living Holocaust survivor? Then join Radio Bible Teacher Tom Cantor at the Friendship with God Fellowship this Sunday, September 24th at 5 p.m. as we welcome Brian Slater from Abundant Life Ministries Israel and Holocaust survivor Nachem Kirpelovich from Netanya Israel, who's the leader of the largest Russian-speaking Holocaust survivor branch in Israel. Arrive early before 5 p.m. and enjoy amazing food and unforgettable Israeli Jewish music from the De Lamont Strings, as well as an amazing message and the opportunity to hear and meet from a living Holocaust survivor. Stand with Israel and join radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor this Sunday at 5 p.m. at the Friendship with God Fellowship that's located inside the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, near the Santee Drive-In off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North. For more information on this Stand with Israel free event at the Friendship with God Fellowship, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051.